and it's Steve Tasker who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. Steve. A blimp. We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. Let's get it going! It's Tuesday. Hey, we're back in studio at One Bills Drive. Day off for the players, but we'll be back at training camp tomorrow. And then Thursday, the last practice, Steve, already at St. John Fisher University. How you be here on a Tuesday, Steve? Doing good. Really good. Uh, Nice rain shower that moved through last night, although... the atmosphere seemed almost artificial. It was so thick, but uh, nice cool off. And then oh, today, man, it's I'm, so much better camp, today. Yeah, training camp, um, on the whole, though, it's it's been different for me. I've seen probably more camp practices this year than I ever have, at, particularly at Fisher. And the ebbs and flows of how it went is what struck me. And the fact we talked about it at length, from top to bottom, how how productive the draft class has been. Um, usually there's a couple of draft picks in a draft cl- any draft class yep. of six or seven, eight or, or more. There's usually two or three that are like, eh, well, they had to pick somebody. You know, and the yes. guy, you're thinking you're just waiting for the moment when they release the guy. I, I don't see um, any of these guys leaving the building yeah. this year. Maybe practice squad, okay, whatever, whatever, because it's a deep and talented roster. Right. But – none of them are going anywhere in my mind. And that's, was, that's weird. Yeah, I was often told that success in the draft should be – what quantifies as success in the draft should be compared to a baseball player's batting average. If you bat 300 or a little bit better than that, you know, 333, basically yeah. hit on a third of your picks, you're doing very well. If you bat 400, you're like Ted Williams who's the only guy to bat 400 in a season. You're in rarefied air. Right, because what, you're talking about guys, that, like the three guys you're talking If you get seven guys, you're talking about two Long-term, or three, long-term successful players. Right, guys like who the are 2017 actually, draft class guys for the Bills. Who, Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano. Right. That's an example. You know, you hit on three full-time, long-term, second contract starters. That's big. You're doing well. That's big. You could make the argument. The 2018 draft, the 2019 draft, um, we'll see on the 2020 and 2021 drafts. We don't know yet because it's too soon. You can make an argument that the 18 and 19 class are even better than the 17 class. Right. In terms of depth of talent still on site or even somewhere else killing it. Wyatt Teller. So, I mean, Brandon Bean knows how to draft. They're I mean, doing, some, oh my they're doing God. a lot of stuff right. They're really doing a lot of stuff right. That's what struck me about this camp, though. Um, they hit on these drafts. Now, I'm not saying, you know, because a guy like like Spector, uh, the seventh rounder. Balen Spector. Balen Spector. One of the reasons, and we say it all the time, one of the reasons they drop down the draft board is because they're not big enough, they're not fast enough, they're not strong enough, they're not tall enough, whatever. They're just the stuff you can measure without getting inside their – their, you know, their head and their heart about what makes them tick and what's going to make a guy like Sam Mills, who is my size, into an, a Hall of Fame linebacker. You know, you can't, aside from that stuff, the intangibles, what you measure in these guys is what drops them up, raises them up or drops them down these draft boards. So you get down to the seventh round, 
sixth round, you're talking about guys that are a lot of guys in the draft can outrun them. They're bigger. They're faster. Better athletes. They look better. You know what I mean? Yep. So when you get down the draft board, it's hard for those guys without those physical traits to walk onto particularly this roster in this training camp with these expectations and, and these guys and splash. Something tells me this could be the subject of a future Bills by the Numbers podcast um, because it's noteworthy. It, it really it is. It's really noteworthy. And we don't have – they haven't even played a game yet, okay? So all this could be – we could be saying, you know, let's just – we need to shut our mouths later on. You know, we, we may have this all wrong. But you and I, I mean, we're standing out there. We wa- I mean, we're watching drills, one-on-ones of, of all of them, the wide receivers, DBs, linebackers, running backs – Offensive line, defensive line. We're watching one-on-ones, all, all of these guys. And both you and I are seeing the same thing. It's like, oh, damn, Benford just made another play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then it's like, look oh. at Bernard. Yeah. I mean, look at him, you know. And then, of course, James Cook. I mean, I'm, I'm going on radio around the country. They, these radio shows call it because they're looking for Bill's opinion. So Brownie and I are great, great you know, candidates for other radio stations around the country and NFL cities yep. to call us and say, hey, let's talk about the Bills today on in Baltimore radio or Miami radio or San- what all that. All right. So I'm telling everybody, I go, James Cook is probably going to – he's going to be on the roster, no question. But he's a guy that may start out being a third-down guy because, you know, Sean McDermott makes these guys earn it, right? By the end of the year, I believe James Cook's going to be the guy all the time. He's going to finish the year the way Devin Singletary finished the year last year, strictly because he's just got better physical traits. Well, and he might fit what the plans are for this offense better. Right. He's got better skill set or more diversified skill set. More diverse skill set. And he's got bigger – he's faster, you know, and he's big, big enough. So so you go down this draft – and Kyrie Elam, I mean, I – that guy – folks, that guy ain't going anywhere. That guy's got second contract written all over him, to me. He just needs time on the job. He played a very singular style of cornerback in the scope of the Florida defense. And we can get into this whole discussion at another show because it's my opinion that the vast majority of major D1 college programs do not develop a player's entire game. They take what they're good at already, plug them in, and ask them to do just that. They don't diversify the skill sets all that much. At receiver, at corner, bunch of other positions. Offensive line, perfect example. Their hands mm-hmm. never on the ground. Right. That's due to the style of football that they play. But you should still doesn't mean you shouldn't teach it. And that's what. Yeah. And they don't waste their time with that stuff. Well, they don't have time to. They get twenty hours a week with these guys. Okay, that's a fair so, argument. And I'll say this too, though. One of, that's one of the reasons I think Kyrie Elam's going to blossom. You heard it. I mean, he just needs time. That's on the job. been his, that's been his modus operandi of the way he does it. He wants he wants the playbook. He wants to know what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to do it. He's got a thirst to be better. Right. That kind of appetite and that kind of work ethic, and of course the passion that he's displayed throughout training camp. That's when a guy starts to blossom. And you know, as this season rolls on, I think the kid's going to make a lot of plays. I think he's going to make. Oh, a lot I would of plays. agree with you. So I'm. I'm high on him. So that he just needs snaps in practice. Yeah. So we started this conversation. You asked me about what this training camp is. That's it, man. It's this draft class. Everybody else we knew about, right? I mean, we're, yeah. we're so these guys are you know 
Josh, Steph, you know, Dave, they're all ingrained. I'm not looking to pat us on the back with this, but we were talking about this probably shortly after free agency. People are warming up to our thoughts about how good this defensive line is going to be and not because of Von Miller. Von Miller is certainly a major addition. He's going to improve the pass rush to a degree that I don't even know if people realize because he's going to make every other pass rusher better just by being up there on the field. But more and more people that we're talking to are warming up to the idea that you're not going to be able to run on this defense. You are not going to be able to run the football against this defense this year. Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor, five touchdown games, they ain't happening this year. They are a thing of the past. It is not going to happen this year against this defensive front. You heard it here. They will not give up big rushing days like that in 2022. Right. It's, it's going to be different. And I, I've said this as well. I'm, you know, come perfectly clean. We've, we've been touting this defense as the number one defense all offseason, and they were. They were ranked at the top. But, let's, you know, you go down the list, um, their quarterbacks, the, the quarterbacks that they faced last season – um, just backups were, were backups. There was a ton of backups that they faced. I mean, you go back, it, it started with the Miami Dolphins week two. Well, first they, well, they did something about that. They're the, they're the Tua, reason right, the backup came right. in. Tua got hurt on, on back-to-back sacks by AJ. So they faced Jacoby Brissett. Then they faced uh, Taylor Heineke against the Washington football team because that's the week Fitzpatrick went out. Then they get Davis Mills. And then it was, um, you know, Mahomes, then Tannehill. Then it was Tua, who they beat. The Jaguars, they lost to. Then they played Zach Wilson. And then the Colts game came along. New Orleans Saints, they played Trevor Simeon, I believe. Yes, third string. Third string, Trevor Simeon. Patriots, Buccaneers. Patriots and Mac Jones, then the Buccaneers, both games they lost. Then they played the Carolina Panthers, and who was it? Well, it was not Cam. No, it was P.J. Walker and right. the other a guy who I two, can't even remember. Two guys that may not be playing football right now. And then they finish up with New England, Atlanta. Oh, he did play? Okay. He okay, play Cam, the whole game. All right. And Atlanta, the Patriots, Atlanta, and then the Jets again. I mean, they did not play a murderer's row of quarterbacks, although there were some good ones in there with Mahomes, uh, Brady, of course. This year, you've got the following. Right. Stafford provided his elbow works. Ryan Tannehill, Tua, Lamar Jackson, we think Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson. uh, Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Maybe Deshaun Watson, otherwise Jacoby Brissett. Jared Goff, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Tua, Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones. So, front half is pretty demanding. Well, yeah, you go back down. half is not. Yeah, you go down that front half. You got yeah, math. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's rough. The first seven, first eight weeks of the season with a bye week included in there. It's so a bear. Seven games. It's a bear. It's a bear. It's it's a it's a tough schedule. But that's um, but so this defense and the reason we started talking about this was the quarterbacks they faced last year and and piled up a number one ranking, which is where you want to be. I mean, if you're going to play those quarterbacks, you need to lump them up. The Bills did. The Bills lumped them up big, lumped those teams up big time last year. 
But this year, man, oh, man, that they're better. They're going to be better defensively. Yep. And I think, and I've said, I keep saying it, sacks and turnovers defensively, playmaker, you know, making plays, splash plays, big turnaround plays, getting the ball back. Um, I think it's going to be more prevalent this year. And if that happens and you start handing the football back to Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen and crew, um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. A lot happening around the league, Steve. So let's get to NFL news and notes. And the news is not good for Jets offensive tackle Mekhi Becton. We mentioned yesterday that he left the field limping badly with what appeared to be a knee injury, the same knee that cost him all of last season. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofolo both reporting that Becton has suffered an avulsion fracture of the right kneecap. He's seeing a surgeon tomorrow, but the general belief, and this includes Robert Sala's comments after practice today, is that he is likely out for a second straight season. Now ESPN's Jeremy Fowler is reporting that the Jets and veteran offensive tackle Dwayne Brown have mutual interest in a potential pairing. Brown visited the team over the weekend. He has had other teams interested throughout the free agency progress process, but he is 36 years old, which is why some people probably had pause. But now you know why the Jets are interested, and if they're wise, they would sign him right now because according to Jets reporter Rich Semini for ESPN, the Jets' offensive line was a mess in practice today. Zach Wilson, you ready for this? According to Rich Semini, sacked four times on his first five dropbacks in team practice today. Some Jets reporters said it was such a jailbreak they were unsure which, which Jets defensive lineman to credit the sack to because they were all there. So the Jets defensive line is either the best, the second coming of the 46 defense in Chicago in 1985 or the Jets offensive line is completely lost. Yeah. I would, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that I even have any idea which it is. It's somewhere in there. It's somewhere in there. Somewhere in between. It is somewhere in there. And, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm not losing any sleep over the Jets um, struggling. Uh, they might be shuffling things around up front in, with the Jets now that Mc- yeah. Becton's out. So they got, all right, now so they're, now they're new, looking at themselves. Need a new now, right tackle. now what are we going to do? So now they start putting guys in, plugging in, trying to, trying to cover for a gigantic well, it's loss. one guy. But it is one guy. But some, you know how it is. Sometimes they'll... If, all right, the next guy out is going to be one of the guards that moves out to that tackle spot. Now you got him playing a new spot, and then a guard, new guard that's playing a new spot, and all of a sudden you're you're yeah. looking like they did. So we'll uh, we'll see. We'll get an update from uh, Jets analyst Lige Duzable, who will be joining us on the show in the second hour. So we'll get the four one one from him on just how bad it looks at Jets camp for that offensive line, and whether Dwayne Brown will in fact be in the cards for them now that they've apparently lost Mekhi Becton for a second consecutive season. Sixth pick in the draft. That is tough. Good news for the Saints. According to Saints reporter Mike Triplett, Saints coach Dennis Allen said Jameis Winston sprained right foot that he suffered in practice yesterday is only a day-to-day injury. They don't believe it's anything significant. However, there are no plans to play him in their team's preseason opener this weekend, which makes sense. The Commanders, more turmoil there, Steve, have fired defensive line coach Sam Mills. Ron Rivera said he believed that... Sam Mills the third. Yeah. 
Ron Rivera said he believed the defensive line room needed a change. Jeff Scanina, a longtime defensive yeah. tackle in the league, played with the Rams for a long time, is taking over. That, according to NFL Network's Mike Garofolo. And, Steve, this is not the first time we have seen a coach replaced in the preseason. Heck, when Dick Duran was head coach, he fired Turk Schonert a week before the opener and promoted Alex Van Pelt, who had never called plays in the league before. Right. And they almost won the game. Season opener Monday night against the Patriots, were it not for a Leotis McKelvin fumble on a kick return. Um, so it's happened before. But this does not speak to continuity and all systems go for the regular season. This is not a change that any head coach wants to make at this juncture in the offseason. Oh, no. And I, and I would wonder if things were going south, and I would say – Without knowing anything about it, it would a guy like Ron Rivera, who's, who's got a lot of integrity, uh, is known as being a stand-up guy and 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 loyal. Uh, Sam Mills and his father worked for Rivera in Carolina, so right. they've got a history. And Sam he said, Mills is on the Ring of Honor in right. Carolina, and also his dad was just went in the Hall of Fame this last weekend. So I think this would probably come from one of two places maybe one of three, a mixture of uh, either, you know, the defensive line is stinking it up. They're not doing it except they got, they got problems or whatever, which they've got a lot of talent up front. Don't forget the commanders have got some guys. Two, they're probably, he's probably getting some feedback as a head coach from some of those guys, those great players saying, hey, this guy's not, this guy's not the guy. This is not the guy helping us, yeah. right? Or two, ownership stepped in and said something happened yeah. or whatever like that. Possibly. I doubt the ownership thing, given the turmoil, they got bigger fish to fry. So I think it's probably coming from the players saying, listen, we need a little bit more from our coach down here. Well, we can say this, having seen that defensive line last year, because um, that was the extra NFC opponent game. They the underachieved. Bills they underachieved the entire season, Big Steve. time. Not just against the Bills. Right. The entire season, the general consensus – from people we know that cover the Washington uh, commanders down there, was that that defensive line, which is made up of all first-round draft choices, terribly underachieved. And now we are going into another season. Perhaps Coach Rivera saw similar results to what he saw last year at this time and said, i got to fix this Yeah, because we're paying these guys that way to too me. much money. There's way too much talent there. We should be getting so much more out of them, and we are not – Time to make waiting. a change. Yeah, we're not waiting for another year. So, yeah, I think that's probably the most likely scenario. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Right. And they didn't want to do that. I mean, that wasn't even a game last year. 43-21, I think, was the final. And I mean, the Washington was made it close of, for a second. Well, the, the, the reason it was 21 is because the Bills turned it over twice down yeah. in their end, and they got it back. Yeah. Or maybe uh, in the red zone, I'm not sure. Um, but the Bills, I think, yeah, there was two turnovers in yeah. the first half that kept Suddenly it Suddenly it was a one-score game there right. early. And then the Bills ran off with it in the second half. But that, that was the only way that the commanders were actually even standing close yeah. to the Bills in that game. Steve, one of your favorite organizations, the Chicago Bears, have some troubles. Oh Roquan Smith, their star linebacker, who has earned second-team All-Pro honors, each of the last two seasons, said in a statement that he is requesting a trade from the Chicago Bears after the front office refused to negotiate in good faith and doesn't value 
him as a 25-year-old linebacker. He said he's been trying to get an extension done since April. Now, they have a new front office. Ryan Poles is the new GM. And I read the whole thing in terms of, you know, what Roquan Smith's issues are. He has yet to engage or speak to the McCaskey family in any capacity, despite trying to negotiate with the team since April. Is that fascinating to you? If you're, if you're disgruntled, don't you demand to talk to ownership in some way, shape, or form, or at least kind of work your agent through those channels to try to get some kind of dialogue that maybe goes over the GM's head because you're, you're hitting your head against a brick wall with the GM. You want to stay there. He said he wanted to be a bear for life. Get the owner's ear and see if you can right. change the conversation. To me, to me, this is the ownership saying they want no part of it. This is it's Mrs. McCaskey, um, who's one of the you know matriarchs of the NFL. She's the daughter of George Hallis. Right. Um, I would say the GM is going on marching inter- orders. Running in from yes, r- on marching orders not to let not to let the. Yeah, they're not going to skip that step. You're not going to go past the GM, and the ownership's probably sitting there going, "No, you handle it." Um, he is he is so. in the same boat as Bills linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, playing on a fifth year option. They are part of the same draft class, so they will both be free agents unless they sign extensions with their current clubs, and that remains up in the air. But again. This speaks to relationships between players and organizations, does it not? Yes. I mean, you don't see anything like this yeah, coming from Tremaine Edmonds and the Bills organization and the relationship that they have. Things operate a little bit differently with the Bears, and they have and, for years, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. been a wayward franchise. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they've been notoriously also rands for decades. Yeah. They caught lightning in a bottle uh, – what five years ago, six years ago? With oh, the, the double doinks! Yeah, the playoff double, year. Yeah, the double doink playoff year where they won twelve games, twelve and four under Adam Gase. I think no, not Adam no, Gase. not Adam Gase. Uh, um, I can't remember <laughs> the Kansas City coordinator. Um, look at us. Yeah, Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy. So Matt Nagy gets lightning in a bottle. Then he's out um, after the one season. Then of course the the other one is thirty five or. 40 years ago, 35 years ago in 1985, when with that roster full of Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame head coach, Hall, as a Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame player, bunch of Hall of Fame players on the roster, defensively, of course, they get to one Super Bowl. Um, that's it for them. That's the level of their success. Aside from their success in the 60s in the old NFL days under Hallis. The 20s. The 1920s. So... Um, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a tough franchise to crack. And, uh, so I, you know, Roquan Smith, while he loves being in Chicago and is trying to do the right thing, good luck. It's going to be interesting to see what the compensation is because whatever team may be excited to add him to their defense, there is still a contract you're going to have to address. I mean, this guy is looking for giant second contract money like Darius Leonard in Indianapolis and some of the other guys who have recently signed at the position. He is looking for top-of-the-market money, which is upwards of $16, 17000000 million. And there are some franchises in this league 
that do not value the middle linebacker yeah. position at that level. They just simply do, do not. Do the Bears with two or three, with three Hall of Fame middle linebackers to their credit, in Dick Butkus, Mike Singletary, and Brian Urlacher, do they strike you as the kind of franchise that would not value the middle line? <laughs> well, it, now, it appears no. And I'll say this right now. It could, be, it could be the GM telling the ownership, saying, listen, the guy's great. We love him. He's a great player. Stuff, but this position isn't worth $15 bucks yeah. a year. We're valuing Don't, left tackle, if, cornerback, quarterback, right. wide receiver. Yeah, that's what we value. We need an offensive line before we need middle linebackers. We need offensive linemen. We need skilled players and we, to protect this young quarterback we've got. Yeah. That's where we're going to start. We're not going to waste. We're, we're not going to spend money on that guy for that. And and that I could get behind. Yeah. Roquan Smith's a great player, no question about it. But he's playing middle linebacker in a league that don't run the football. So yeah. in a in a division with Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins, mm-hmm. who throw it a lot. Yeah. And. Those aren't the only problems for the Bears. They have more injury problems at wide receiver. Already without Nikhil Harry and Byron Pringle, who are sidelined with injuries at training camp, the Bears have now also lost receiver David Moore with what is being reported as a potentially serious injury. No details yet, but we'll have to see what comes of it. But those are three of their top five receivers that are now shelved. So not going good in Chicago. And then Steve, from the files... Of more of that, please. We bring you reports from New England Patriots camp, where it has been reported. Can you see the smile on my face? If you can't see it through the radio, it's ear to ear. It has been reported by a handful of Patriots beat reporters that the offense is a veritable disaster. I will proceed to read some descriptions of yesterday's team periods of practice for Mac Jones and the Patriots offense. So, Steve, sit back and enjoy. All right. From our good friend Mike Giardi, who we just had on the show last week from NFL Network, I quote, Mac Jones had some moments of uncertainty a year ago in training camp, but not nearly as many as you would expect for a rookie. This summer, there are far more. Yes, it is early August. There's time. However, the install started back in the spring, and you'd like to see more comfort and success. To clarify, this isn't all on Mac. Blocking has been poor. They haven't been able to run the ball a lick in camp. And last night, there were a number of times Mac had to hold the ball because receivers were not open. Not a wonderful combination. The Patriots, as Warren Sharp points out, he's that analytics guru, has the fifth most expensive receiving core in the league. Devontae Parker was the big ad this offseason. He's supposed to be their true number one wideout. Warren Sharp, who is an advanced metrics guy, pointed out the report by Patriots reporter Andrew Callahan, who reported the following. Devontae Parker has made three receptions over five practices with six total targets. That's pathetic. This is your number one wideout, Steve. (laughs) At the return of the blue and red practice alone, Steve. Gabe Davis had five catches, three for touchdowns. Devontae Parker's got three catches for all of camp. Well, and I noticed this, too. We had thought that the, the personnel moves that the New England Patriots made in the offseason, particularly regarding their defense, would have weakened their defense. So not only is their offense looking putrid, it's looking putrid against the same defense that the Bills didn't even have to punt 
on right. for their last two games of last season on, on a game in New England and a game here in the playoffs. The Bills didn't punt twice yeah. in two games. They didn't punt at all in two games. And they, score, and they scored a touchdown every time they got the ball. The last time they played, they didn't turn it over, never took a negative play, and they got every possible yard they could get offensively because they scored a touchdown every time yeah. they got the ball. So, and that defense that the Bills lit up, I mean absolutely lit on fire and stomped the ashes into the ground, is now crushing with worse personnel the New England offense. Yes. Now, this is why I love Warren Sharp, because he just pulls out hard and fast numbers, okay? He listed Devontae Parker's ranking on the list of the league's wide receivers who most consistently gain separation. This is a wide receiver they traded for, Steve. Parker's rankings over the last three seasons among the league's wide receivers who most consistently get separation. 2019, 123 out of 125. 2020, 132 out of 132. 2021, 127 out of 127. Dead last each of the last two years, but this guy's going to be their number one wideout. I can't take it. It's too much. My sides are hurting. Oh, my God. Devontae Uh, Parker is your ticket to success. here's (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't. Oh my god! I don't oh, know. It's so good. It's so good. I, I honestly, in my heart, I don't believe it's gonna be that bad oh, as I it hope looks it is, right though. now. But man, oh man, it looks really, really bad at this point. Now they haven't played a preseason game. We haven't seen them. They they got no offensive coordinator. Who's calling the plays? Joe Judge or it looks like it's Matt, Matt Patricia. Patricia? Okay, all that stuff's going on, and. You know, Mac can't even get a throw off. There's just they're getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Their offensive line is an absolute train wreck. It's an offense that was supposed to run the ball. They can't run the ball. Well, their offensive line, um, yeah, they, uh, yeah, Dante Scarnecchia, their longtime offensive line coach, retired for like the third time. Right. I would imagine he's going to come back unless he's just too gone, too far gone. The guy's and, almost eighty. Yes, come he's on. he's very old. He's he was. Yeah, he was coaching special te- when I was playing. He was a special teams coach for the Patriots under all those guys. Uh, had a, I got a lot of, and even the Patriots and people around the league, he's got a lot of respect. But he retired, and he's been their offensive line guy that keeps that group and gets them overachieving. Actually, he's a great coach, but he's he's done. That's killing them right now. That is killing them right now. All right, hold on. I've got some more. Okay, ESPN Patriots reporter Zach Cox. Mac Jones took the first 20 reps in 11-on-11 drills, which, first of all, Steve, is unheard of. They usually rotate quarterbacks every six reps at most. Anyway, Zach Cox says they left Mac Jones in even after the Patriots rotated out the starting offensive line. Zach Cox's words, it's been ugly. A quarter of Mac Jones' reps resulted in a sack, four, or a scramble, one, and all six completions were within a few yards of the line of scrimmage. Our good friend Mike Reese from ESPN, has covered the Patriots for over 20 years, tweeted this thought after watching the Patriots' offense. After watching the offense look efficient in 7-on-7 but struggle notably in multiple 11-on-11 drills, it might be time to give Dante Scarnecchia a call for an independent evaluation. And then there's this from NBC's Tom Curran, who has covered the Patriots for 30 years. The Patriots' number one offense today 
has been distressingly bad. Run stuffs, aborted plays, would-be sacks, distress lobs into traffic just to get the ball out, beginning to feel it's less the new offense and more the post-Skarnickia cycle of O-line coaches. They are perpetually overwhelmed. (laughs) I'm telling you, I... Ah, Oh, I love it! I can't get enough of it. It's like a drug. Keep injecting it into my veins. Tweet away, Patriots beat reporters. Tweet away. The Patriots beat reporters are dispensing laughing gas right now. Oh, my God. It's nitrous oxide for the soul. Unbelievable. Because it it just keeps piling out of there. I I sat at my desk this morning and watched. It's unanimous. I watched Bill Belichick's live post-practice press conference, or maybe his pre-practice. I'm not sure. It might have been pre-practice. But I watched his press conference live this morning. And the, you know, the reporters are, even now, are incredibly deferential to him. You know, they don't, they do not, this is not New York where they go, you know, how's come your team sucks under your leadership kind of thing. <laughs> That's not what they do. They're like, hey, Bill, you know, is Mac. They ask it in a diplomatic yeah, way. Is Mac not seeing it? Is he making tough, you know, what's the deal? And they're asking him, <laughs> basically, why do they, what, what's up? Why does it look so hor- horrific? The offense looks horrible. And Bella's just going to listen. It's, it's, you know, and he's just, it could be this, could be this. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. He just names off like 20 things that are going wrong. And some, sometimes it, all this goes right and this other thing goes wrong. But the, the gist of it is something that from the smallest thing to the most basic thing, the biggest thing, is going wrong all the time. None of it looks good. All the time. But it tastes delicious. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> they are. Oh, I love it. They are in, in New England. They're looking, and and it's still even now because Bill is the coach. Even now they're going. Listen, it's he's not going to let them look that bad. It's not going to be that bad a result. Mm. Even if their offense stinks, they're going to win games. That kind of atmosphere. You know, it's, it's still okay. got that right. I'm not convinced. It's still that aura around that program and and maybe they're right that was a playoff team last year with a rookie quarterback who couldn't throw right so there's a lot in there and nobody's willing to i'm not throwing dirt on the patriots but man oh man you're i'm I'm with you i'm with you i'm ready to throw dirt the bloom is off the rose very very go battle the jets for last place in the division have fun with that it's very satisfying to see here and hear that that rhetoric coming out of new england might be a more entertaining race than the one for first place. We take a break here. Plenty more to get to, including our Twitter topic today. Which Bills player will benefit the most from their surrounding cast? We want your thoughts on that. Give us a player you think could benefit the most. 803-0550, You're on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Steve and I back in a sec. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. I think I'm calmed down. No, wait, I got one more in me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Patriots offense is looking so bad in training camp. So bad. Woo! I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I don't know if Game Pass put preseason games on there. Uh, because I don't. I'm going to go watch. So, yeah, I think live I'm they a, do. I know, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do and the And that Bills new game. NFL Plus is uh, is doing that, I'm too. Gonna watch, I'm going to watch them in the preseason. I want to. 
They're going to have to make some change. They can't go into the season like that. Oh, but it'll be so delicious if they do. Oh, yeah, it would be. Wouldn't that be fun? Like this is <laughs> here's the ideal here's the ideal season for the Bills for me. Okay, at least regular season. Bills are in the driver's seat. You know, coming down the stretch in December to win the division. You know, they're free and clear of the Dolphins. They don't really have to worry about them. Right. But there is a tight neck and neck race. For the basement of the AFC East between the Jets and the Patriots. the Patriots. As we know, those two franchises abhor each other. Mm-hmm. And Patriots it's week a 18. race to the basement. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. New England Patriots in Buffalo. For, and, it, and it's interesting, too, because I said this before. The NFL schedule on their NFL wet statistics page, the NFL GSIS, has the New England Patriots – um, at the Buffalo Bills, and it says it's at 4 a.m. Eastern time. It's wow. actually it's 4 p.m., but it says 4 a.m. Be a heck of a wake-up so week call 18, for the So show. that's what you're saying, right? Week 18, Patriots at Buffalo, and Case Keenum and company, because Josh is sitting down. Yeah. Case Keenum and company Gotta crush see who them. The, who, who the Jets are playing week 18. Can I'll you, tell can you. Can you pull that up for me? Yes, I, I, I need I to know now. I've got it right here. I've got it right here. <clears throat> it is. So Bills host the Patriots week 18, and the Jets play. The Jets play. Miami? Week 18, Miami. <laughs> the Jets play Miami. The Jets come into this game 5-11, and 11, looking to stay out of the basement of the AFC East for a third consecutive season. Meanwhile, their uh, hated Patriots face the Bills in Buffalo. Also 5-11, and 11, who will take the title of the bottom feeder of the AFC East? Oh, I mean, that's a week 18 to remember. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can see it now. I'm going to speak it into existence. Make it happen. In the meantime, we go to the tweet sheet, which is a little bit more Bills-related. Which Bills player will benefit the most from their surrounding cast this season? Allen on the tweet sheet, which is brought to you, incidentally, by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Allen says, any running back <laughs> with the passing talent and Allen's scrambling ability, the opposing defenses won't be able to stack the box for running plays. Now, I think that's true to a certain degree. You know, lighter boxes make sense. You've got to make them pay to pull that safety out yeah. of the box first. The, the key is going to be how few people, in addition to the five offensive linemen, is it going to take to run the ball effectively if you're the Bills' offense. One of the things, and, and I hit, I, even to this day, I get a lot of, I love the fans because we, we, and they go, I, I hope you, do you mind? I'm, I'm asking you a question, but I go, it's my favorite thing, right? I sit here with you. Every, I love to do it. That's why I'm doing this job. So, you know, so, one of the I get asked about the K gun back in Jim yep, Kelly. Yep, yep. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons, in fact, that that offense was so successful was because they could run with three wides on the field mm-hmm. and a tight end, and one back. They could run out of that and run successfully. Thurman Thomas led yep. the league in yards from scrimmage four straight years. He's the only player that's ever done it. Yep. He was a monster behind that offensive line. That's key for this team. And it becomes the exact same thing we talk about defenses. If you can get pressure with just four guys and get it quick, 
you're going to win games because it's hard to throw into seven guys dropping into coverage. Same thing on offense. If you can run it behind just five offensive linemen with a tight end maybe, and the one back, you got three wides out, if you can run it effectively in that group, they got problems. Yep. They've got real problems. So that's what it's going to come down to. And he's, he's right. With Saffold in there, with a healthy Spencer Brown, Morris, that, 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 who, the five offensive linemen they got up there, whether Bates, it's yeah. Bates and whoever, Saffold, and then Kessenberry is too, as well with a backup, as a backup. They got some bigger dudes down in there. They can, if Cromer can get those guys a hat on a hat and get them pushing and they can run the ball when they want to run the ball and teams are forced to throw an extra guy in the box just to make sure the Bills oh. don't throw it every down. You want to play single high safety against right. that passing You game? can't play single high Woo! safety against these guys. You can't play single high. And that's the problem last year. The Bills couldn't run against two high safeties, let alone single high safety. They couldn't run against two high safeties where there was – Six guys in the box. Yeah. They couldn't run against that last year. And finally, at the end of the year, you know, Devin Singletary started making some hay there. And then all the and you saw what happened when they're off. When Singletary started running with a, against a too high safety, Gabe Davis catches four touchdowns in a in a in a playoff game. The Bills play, put together a perfect offensive game. I mean, they were a 30, they were unstoppable. Thirty six points. When they started running late in the year against a, a six-man box and doing it successfully, they became the team that we all thought you know was going to and could yeah. win the Super Bowl. So we'll see. But that's a, that's a good tweet from Allen. He's right. Yeah. He's right. Break time for us here. When we come back, more of your comments on the tweet sheet. And is Deshaun Watson playing in the Browns preseason opener or not? Even the Browns aren't saying. Why is that? We'll try to investigate next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Kids Day returns to Highmark Stadium as the Bills host the Broncos for their preseason matchup on August 20th, presented by Fisher-Price. The Fisher-Price Junior Tailgate kicks off at 9 a.m. in Lot 6, Bigger than ever, featuring a Power Wheels track, giant inflatables, a real fire truck, games and more. Also, a limited quantity of Bill's wristbands will be given out as gate giveaways. Special concessions available this year, popcorn, ice cream, cotton candy, snow cones, root beer floats, and a kid's lunch deal featuring a hot dog, chips, and a Capri Sun. Mobile ticketing as usual. Visit buffalobills.com slash kidsday for more information. We told you before the break that Kevin Stefanski, Browns head coach, is not revealing if Deshaun Watson will play against the Jaguars in the Browns' preseason opener. The Browns apparently have a plan for their quarterbacks, but there's a lot of speculation out there. The impending suspension, which is going to be at least six games unless the league's yeah, was, appointed yeah. you know, appeals officer rules otherwise. So they're saying, well, you better get Jacoby Brissett ready either way. Because Watson isn't playing the first six weeks. So Stefanski is holding all his cards close to the vest. And people are like, why are you doing that? We want to know what you're doing. What's going on? Do you know something else about Watson that we don't know? What's going on? Yeah. So it's led to a whole bunch of consternation about who's playing quarterback and for how long in the Browns preseason opener. Steve, 
Then there's this. We are all uh, awaiting the premiere uh, of Hard Knocks, which apparently has already been li- released by HBO. Mm-hmm. I, I do not have that as part of my package of TV offerings, so I usually don't HBO see it. HBO Sports or whatever it is. HBO Max, I think yeah, it is. HBO Max, yeah. Anyway, Aiden Hutchinson, their second pick in the draft this year, turns 22 today and had to sing Michael Jackson's Billie Jean during a team meeting. Producers of the Hard Knocks program are claiming it may be the most entertaining rookie singing moment in show history. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's because it's incredibly good or horrifically bad, but it could very easily be either one of those two, correct? Absolutely. They, didn't, they left that open for interpretation. That's because that, what makes them memorable is how horrific they are. Usually, right? Usually. Well, even if the guy nails it, it's like, well, ah, well, he's got, that's, his, that's his karaoke song. Okay, he's supposed to nail it. But th- you know what I mean? So yes. what really makes it memorable is when the guy is... Shockingly good. Shocking, no, not shockingly good, but like embrace it, go for it, horrific. Oh, yeah. Like, the worst thing you've ever seen is, in fact, it's like, I, I'm leaving. It's like a ride-or-die moment. It's like, I gotta go. I, like, the guys are, like, leaving. They don't even want to watch him finish it. That's when you, like, hit, that's the home run, not the other. Okay. Nailing it is, is good. It's kind of cool. Everybody's like, it's but, almost equally impressive. Right. You think. Except until you get to know the, you know, the guy sang in college or whatever. Well, that's what we saw. The there thing was, is, there right. was a viral video yesterday where a Duke offensive lineman he Sang was opera. asked to sing. He's a trained opera singer. Yeah. And he blew his teammates away. Mouths are hanging agape as they're filming him singing this. Yeah, the phone. He's crushing it. Right. But the key, the home run, is doing it so bad. You drive people from the room? And you never get asked again. <laughs> that's their plan. Right. So you think that guy, that Duke offensive lineman, you think that's the last time they're going to ask him to sing? He's going to have no. no say, hey, have to hey, pre- let's hear it again. Let's do another one. Yeah. Do a different. Warm up see? the pipes. Right. Huh, who needs it? The home run is the being so horrific at it that you never get asked again. That's that's the key. That's good. That's careful planning. Well, it's, yeah, I, yeah. It's not my first rodeo. By the way, oh, and by the way, before we go to break here, did you re- hear the thing at the official the uh, owners meetings? Yes, it is official now. It is official. The Denver Broncos are now owned by the Walton Penner Group, chiefly the heir to the Walmart fortune. So I was joking with our guys in the control room. This is the first time that we do not have falling prices at Walmart. As as the Walton Penner Group purchased the Denver Broncos for, what was it, $4.65 billion? Um, it is the highest price ever purchased for a sports team in North American sports history. But it is a done deal. Four point Lucille. something, something billion, I think right? It was four point six five billion is the number I believe I saw. Yeah. And uh, but they just announced it is yeah. official. It was interesting too. You think about this. So you go in there as the Walton Group. They present. They go in. They spend this this guy, this Walton. I'm, I'm, I can't remember his first name. He goes in. He's got to stand in front of the owners of the National Football League. For the first time in his life, probably in a room full of guys that have got money like he's got money. Now, he may be richer, poor, whatever, you know, but that, that's quite a room mm-hmm. to command. To go in there and say, hey, listen, here's how we're going to run this pl- thing. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to be the guy. My partners are here. They're in. They're along for the ride. Whatever. I'm the voice of the franchise, and we're going to do it. I'm just. I'm basically going to write the check, and I'm going to build a new stadium in Denver. Thanks for listening. Then they escort them out. They take them out. And I don't know whether they're, they're – it's unclear that whether there's a discussion or whether they just say, okay, what do you think? Here's a vote. Hands up if he takes it or, or do we vote him no? Do we say no and the, and the thing goes back up for sale? But obviously after the guy presents, they go, yeah, he's yeah. okay with me. And there it is. That's, That's actually what happened. Think with, about that. What happened with the Pagulas – they were supposed to go through that process as well. I was covering the owners' meetings that year because of what was going to happen. And the Pagulas come come to the hotel conference room where the meeting is being held. And as they understood it, they're supposed to go in the room, say their piece, leave. The vote takes place. They come back in and find out what the vote was, which for all intents and purposes is going to be a formality. Yeah, it's a formality, and it's so, probably always going to be unanimous, right? Because they know so they're everyone. so they're escorted in. So we're waiting for them to say their piece and come back out. Well, they go in, and we're on the other side of the doors, out in the hallway, and we hear applause. They had already voted, so they came <laughs> in and they were already being congratulated. So they were like, "What?" But oh, that's nice. Oh, we're in. oh okay. So we don't have to say anything. Sweet, you're I like, good. I like how you guys. I like you're how you in. operate. Yeah. So it was like that's a total neat. shock, but it was kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of um, neat. But that. You think about it, that's, that's a heck of a room. Oh, yeah. That's a heck of a room to go in and say, okay, yeah. Uh, There's a few I, quadrillion I dollars join. worth yeah. of net worth in there. Right. I want to join. Can I be in? You know? That's big. Yeah. That's really big. Quick news item out of the Bears camp. Bears GM Ryan Poles has held a presser, and he said the Roquan Smith trade request, when asked about it, said, right now my intentions are to sign Roquan to this team. My intentions are to make sure Roquan Smith is on this team. So that's where it stands in Chicago with linebacker Roquan Smith. Break time for us because when we come back, we're going to be joined by our good friend Lee Doosable, going to tell us exactly what is going on at Jets camp with that offense that's having trouble protecting Zach Smith or Zach Wilson and Makai Becton being lost for another season. What does it mean for their offensive line? Lee Doosable. Coming up next, here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Tasker, touchdown, Buffalo! And it's Steve Tasker who has been all over the field. Kind of unique, he was kind of a dual-role player for you. Steve, Steve, a blimp. <laughs> We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. Hour number two, ready for you. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you and happy to be joined now by NFL analyst, former Bills Jets defensive lineman, covers the Jets during the season. He's out there at training camp doing his thing. It's Lee J. Doosable joining us. How you doing, LD? I'm doing good, Chris and Steve. How are you guys doing? It's been a while since we've all been together. Yeah, we're doing good. I, you must uh, things must be going nice in New York, except for the fact that you know Makai Becton's knee is going to be a problem for him and stuff. But they're building a roster that really looks like it's headed in the right direction. Is that the general vibe? Yeah, hundred percent. I think 
everybody was excited for Zach Wilson year two in this Michael LaFleur offense. Uh, one of the biggest things, guys, I wanted to see Zach Wilson take a step in was his pocket presence, right? Uh, a lot of young rookie quarterbacks, they tend to drift back in the pocket. And that's dangerous in the NFL, right? Because that gives guys like me a free range to run around the hoop at nine, 10, 11 yards and hit the quarterback. So one thing I wanted to see him progressing was him being comfortable in the pocket, stepping up. And throughout the first two uh, pre- weeks of practicing today, he seemed like he's gotten a lot more comfortable as far as hitching up and stepping into the pocket and delivering the ball with accuracy. So I think that's a, a big step of growth when you, once you see your franchise quarterback because they are essentially it took him number two overall to be the franchise guy of the future. For him to see that development, to see that progression, that's what you want to see. And then the tight end position, I mean, that position – I didn't even know the Jets knew what a tight end was until this year. And now they have two viable guys in CJ Uzama and Tyler Conklin, who they got at a free agency. And honestly, I think Tyler Conklin is going to be the true number one tight end guy for the New York Jets. He's got a real rapport with Zach uh, Wilson early in this training camp. So look for him to be heavily involved in this offense. And then weapons on the outside. That's something that Jets also have struggled with. It's a Garrett Wilson, you know, at the top of the draft, the number 10 pick, a guy that competes through throughout the whistle, a guy that has a high catch radius, a guy that's, you know, ultra competitive that will block you in the run game. And I honestly believe that Elijah Moore will take that next step and be the true number one receiver for the Jets. And at the running back position, Michael Carter showed well last year, but getting Brees Hall, I mean, this guy is a workhorse, guys. And I think that's the thing people have to realize on this offense. They talk about Zach Wilson, but this is an offense that's going to run the ball methodically. They want to run the football. So, I mean, the future looks bright, man. There's a lot of young stars on this team, and it seems like the Jets are finally building it the right way. Steve mentioned Mekhi Becton, Leger, and it's unfortunate. Do you know how the injury even took place in practice? I mean, a fractured kneecap. That's what he take a helmet or something. I mean, man. Well, I mean, I know he was engaged with John Franklin Myers and then, you know, he was doing some individual work where he was already like kind of in some discomfort doing individual, but he was still firing off the ball. So he looked like he was just dealing with some, some pain from the knee injury. You know, he had the in- knee injury. Yes. Uh, last year, right. but these are two totally different injuries. I mean, you're talking about a kneecap and then the knee injury he had last year where in the first half versus the Carolina Panthers in week one, a defensive lineman stepped on his, his ankle and kind of his knee was planted in the ground and he just never recovered from that and wasn't able to play. This is something totally different when you're talking about a kneecap injury. So he was engaged with John Franklin Myers. And then after that, it was just so much discomfort that he had to take it inside. And, you know, the trainers initially thought his knee was stable and everything was fine. They were just doing the MRI as a formality, right? They, they did. I mean, a kneecap issue was the last thing on their mind. So um, when that came out, it, you know, it was devastating. And I feel for Makai, I've talked to, to Makai throughout the last couple of years as he's been on the Jets. And he knew that this was a big year for him, right? He knew what it entailed. They moved him over to the right side, which honestly I thought was going to be a better fit for him in this offense anyway. But, you know, after missing all last year and then talk about what he did his rookie year and, you know, everybody thought that this guy had the potential to be a Pro Bowl player because he showed that at times his rookie year, you know, the game versus Joey Bosa, he dominated that guy. And that's a perennial Pro Bowl guy. So, I mean, the health issue was always an issue with him, and it just sucks because he worked his butt off to come back from that knee injury. He was literally, you know, it's a cliche. People say in the best shape of his life, but he literally was in the best shape of his life going into this camp, and it sucks. You feel for the kid. And now it turns to – it seems like it's going to be Chuma Idoga. Yeah. uh, Fourth-year guy out of Southern Cal – out of USC. Correct. Um, How many guys did they move around? I know it it goes – 
Idoga was the backup left tackle by the you know with Makai playing the right tackle. Are they gonna? Did they have to move more than one guy around, or is the the other four guys? Did they stay intact? Did they have to shuffle in front of Zach Wilson again, or is it just one in, one out? Well, that's an interesting concept, uh, Steve, because they had Dwayne Brown on the sideline, who was a perennial Pro Bowl offensive tackle from the uh, Seattle Seahawks and also played for the Houston Texans. He was at the green and white scrimmage this past weekend and talks of, you know, really ramped up between him and Joe Douglas in his camp. But the thing is with Dwayne Brown, like it's his decision, whether he wants to sign with the Jets or not. Again, this guy is a perennial pro bowler. He's 37 years old. And, you know, usually when you're that age, you're looking to make sure you go to a contender. Now the, the Jets, you know, and they could, he could like the culture the Jets have at Robert Sala because when Robert Sala was at the Houston Texans, Dwayne Brown was there. So he knows him personally. So that's the one thing I think that, you know, Robert Sala has over some other teams that are potentially vying for Dwayne Brown. But those tech talks have definitely ramped up since the injury to Makai Becton. You know, Chuma Yadoga to me is, is a nice swing tackle. When he was able to get into the game last year because of injuries to Morgan Moses and, and George Fent last year, he actually showed well. The thing with Udoga has been the same issue with Makai Becton. He can't stay healthy, right? The kid has a lot of potential, but he's just always banged up and has never been able to really solidify himself at either one of the tackle positions. So this is his big opportunity too, right? Because he's heading into a free agent year. Now, if they bring in Dwayne Brown, there's not even nothing to talk about, right? Dwayne Brown uh, slides right in. Now, the question is, do they move George Fant back to right tackle? Because George Fant played the best football of his life last year at left tackle, but Dwayne Brown's only played left tackle. So I don't know if he'd be comfortable moving to right tackle. So that is the big exclamation point. Like, what happens if the Jets do sign Dwayne Brown? Does George Fant slide back over to right tackle where he's been more comfortable at left and then Dwayne Brown plays, uh, you know, left tackle and Fant plays right? Or do the Jets just roll the dice with Chuma Yudoga pray that he stays healthy and potentially maybe bring somebody in like Andre Dillard, who, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles have been talked about maybe wanting to trade or even Tevin Jenkins from the Chicago Bears. I know they've talked about trading him as well, but I know there's some health scares with his back issue. So I don't know if Joe D would pull that trigger, but Andre Dillard is another name that I think people need to, you know, circle and put their put the radar on because I know Philadelphia has been trying to trade him for the last two years. You already mentioned Elijah Moore, who was a guy the Bills liked a lot in, you know, the 2021 draft as well at Ole Miss. And you think he's going to be their number one guy. Is he still working primarily out of the slot or are they moving him around more? Yeah, they're moving him around. And when you draft a guy like Garrett Wilson, you got Corey Davis coming back. It gives you, you know, the free space to move Elijah more around. Like last year, he was a rookie. I believe they didn't want to put too much on his plate. Now, Michael Floor did move him around a lot, but he had some of his best success in the slot. And that's what he did at Ole Miss too. But I think he has the ability to be a guy that can line up at all three wide receiver positions. And again, a guy like uh, Garrett Wilson coming into the fold, a guy that can play in the slot as well and play on the outside as well. It frees up Elijah Moore to do more things. So, you know, end of rounds was big for him last year. It was big for him at Ole Miss. You're going to get some of those. Sometimes even lining him in the backfield just to get, you know, Michael LaFleur just wants that matchup where it's a linebacker on Elijah Moore. He's going to try to exploit that. So Elijah Moore will move all the way around. I think he's a true number one receiver for the Jets. A thing is with other players, right? Can he stay healthy? Because he missed 
I believe, six games last year. Yeah. So health issues have been an issue for this Jets team. I believe they played more rookies than anybody last year. So the good thing is a lot of those young guys got experience heading into this year. Now it's all about staying healthy because Michael Carter, I believe, missed four games. Elijah Moore missed six games. You can't have your guys that are going to be your main guys missing games. You're not going to have success when that happens. As I, as you look at the Jets' depth charts as it stands, certainly uh, – you know, Corey Davis is on there as a wide receiver. Braxton Berrios, yeah. Elijah Moore. Where's Garrett Wilson fitting in? How's he looking? This is a guy that, I mean, every team wishes he would have fallen to them and the Jets got him. This yeah. guy can, seems like he can really, he's one of be going to be the next young wide receiver to come in and hit it, the, hit the ground running right away. But yet, uh, is he a, with the first crew, but not quite yet? Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been rotating in with the first group. And you know how it is when you're a rookie, Steve. The coach doesn't want to just put you on the top of the depth chart right away, right? You have to earn those stripes. So right now, on the unofficial depth chart, he's listed as a second-team member, but he'll be a starter with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. I believe Braxton Berrios will be that fourth receiver that comes in and to be able to play every single position, mainly in the slot, to back up the slot position, because that's where Braxton Barrios does most of his damage in the slot position. So Garrett Wilson will be one of the three starting receivers for the Jets when they roll out, you know, in week one versus the Baltimore Ravens. They're just making sure that he earns his stripe, right? They don't just want to give him the position. He's done a really good job at camp. I know people were kind of worried about him during OTAs because he just wasn't making enough splash plays. Well, he's made enough splash plays these last couple of weeks in practice and stuff starting to build that rapport with Zach Wilson. And again, I just think the staff loved the, loved the way this kid competes, right? And if you look at what Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have done, they have drafted guys that love the game of football and the ultimate competitors. That's how they're trying to build this roster and this team the right way. And Garrett, uh, Garrett Wilson fits that mold exactly. You know, you mentioned Brees Hall already, Liget. And while I think a lot of people – view him as a workhorse feature back based on what he did at Iowa State. We're also reminded of the fact that, you know, Robert Sala, LaFleur, they come off the San Francisco coaching tree where Mm -hmm. more often than not, it's a committee backfield. What should we expect with the running back usage slash rotation, even though you have a guy capable of being a workhorse like Brees Hall? Yeah, I believe to start the year off, Stephen Chris, it'll be, you know, 50-50 Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Now, I would not be surprised towards the back end of the year if Brees Hall ends up taking over the majority of those carries and Michael Carter becomes more of a third-down guy. But the thing is, Brees Hall is is a third-down back as well, right? He can catch the ball in the backfield. He's a guy that will thud it up with linebackers, chop linebackers down, pick up blitzes. He showed that at Iowa State. So, honestly, I think Michael Carter last year showed well, had almost 1,000 all-purpose yards last season, even though he missed four games. So this is a guy that can play well too. The thing is, he's never asked to be. He's never been asked to be the guy. Even at North Carolina, you know, Javante Williams was there with him, so he was never truly the workhorse when he's been the running back. So I think a guy like Brees Hall coming in, I think they split the carries 50-50, and I would not be surprised towards the back end of this uh, the season if Brees Hall continues to develop like he's doing. He had a really good uh, green and white scrimmage this past weekend. He may pass up Michael Carter, and Michael Carter becomes more of the third down back, and, and uh, Brees Hall becomes more of the first and second down back. Give us a little thumbnail about where their defense sits right now. C.J. Mosley in the middle of it, uh, kind of still the – kind of guy making the calls there give us an idea of where they're at personnel wise and and the vibe coming off that side of the ball 
Yeah, Steve, if you know anything about Robert Sala, this defense is predicated off the defensive line, right? If he was When he was in San Francisco, we saw the defensive line he had, right? Starting with DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Joey Bosa, right? D Ford. Well, he's trying to build that same type of defensive line with the New York Jets. Now, Carl Lawson is a guy who was their high, you know, acquisition free agent last year. And he got hurt early in camp that the Green Bay week and preseason during practice, you know, tears his Achilles and is out for the year. So it's like you're almost getting another free agent with Carl Lawson because he didn't play last year. So they also drafted Jermaine Johnson, who was my crush in the draft. Like I was surprised he failed to pick 26 to me was the most ready defensive end as far as playing against the run. And he hadn't even hit his ceiling yet when it comes to pass rusher, pass rushing. He is just coming into his own as a pass rush. I mean, at the senior bowl, this dude was only there two days because he put on the pass rush display. And the only thing that he could have done was hurt his draft stock or get hurt, which would have hurt his draft stock. So he ended up leaving after two days, the jets ended up taking him at 26, where I don't think anybody thought he would actually be. They took Jacob Martin in free agent free agency is a guy who's going to be a rush specialist for them on third down. Bryce Huff comes back. He was playing really good football in the beginning of the year before he got hurt. Their guy, their swing guy, John Franklin Myers, who's kind of built like Eric Armstead, he's a guy that's going to start on the edge on first and second down, but then on passing downs, he's going to slide in the side. And Quentin Williams, guys, to me, has had the best training camp out of any Jet um, this year, right? We know he's coming up against his deal. He's eligible for a deal right now, but they're going to probably work at a work out a deal after this year. And Quentin Williams, it seems like he's going to be making a lot of money because he has been dominant at training camp right now. So this is the first time since Robert Salas had this defense that he has a rotation of defensive linemen. And that's what he had in San Francisco. And that's how he really wants to build his defense, right? From the front back, he wants to import eight to nine defensive linemen a game and rotate them after three or four snaps so they can get after the quarterback. Steve, you talked about C.J. Mosley. He is the captain of the defense. Uh, Very smart linebacker, still savvy. I know he's getting up there in age, but he can still get it done. They got Quincy Williams next to him, but they also brought in Quan Alexander right before camp. This is a guy that's familiar with the defense. He was in San Francisco with Robert Sala, one of the best coverage linebackers in all of football. So they got better at that position. And in the secondary, right, it took a mod sauce garner to me who was the best corner in this draft. Now, Stingley has the most upside, but as far as – you know, seeing it on tape, there was nobody be- nobody better than Ahmad Sauce Garner. And this defense has changed up over the last few years. It was always a cover three defense, let the D-line get after you. But Robert Sala likes to heat it up on third down and bring that pressure. So you got to be able to win on the outside of the cornerback position. So they brought in DJ Reed at one corner position who was familiar with this defense, who was with Robert Sala in San Fran and played in this defense in Seattle. And then they took, you know, Ahmad Sauce Garner, with the number four overall pick also brought in Jordan Whitehead to change the mantra that second, you know, secondary. He's a fierce guy, a competitive guy, um, run hit guy at the safety position and has championship experience with the Tampa Bay Bucks. So this, you talk about maybe seven to eight new starters on defense for this just defense, which was the worst defense in football last year, right? They gave up the most points per game. And as a defensive minded coach that kills you, right? I talked to Robert Sala at least once or twice a week. I know it affected them all last year. So he wanted to really rectify that side of the ball. Ligier, thanks for bringing us up to speed on the Jets. Uh, we probably won't see you guys until much later in the season. I think both matchups are in the second half of the year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the development uh, with the team because uh, the Jets figure to be better come week you know, eight or nine 
than they will be in week one or two or three with all the new pieces that they've added, as you've mentioned. So we look forward to seeing the development of that team come the second half of the year. Appreciate the time, as always. We'll catch up with you. Appreciate it, uh, Chris and Steve. All right, that's Lige Duzable, NFL analyst, Jets analyst for SNY and the other outlets down there in New York, New Jersey, metropolitan area. Um, It's an interesting build that they're going through. And I think the most interesting part is the fact that 60% 60% of their nickel defense is brand new. Right. Actually, 80%. Michael Carter is the only guy coming back on the defense. That's Michael Carter the second. They have two Michael Carters on the team. One's a running back, one's a corner. I'm talking about their nickelback, Michael Carter. He's the only guy back from last year's starting secondary. Sauce Gardner's their draft pick this year. He's new. Jordan Whitehead, free agency, new. LaMarcus Joyner, free agency, new. DJ Reed, free agency, new. I mean, that's a lot to pull together that's, in one off season. Yeah, and I could see, and I'm always transposing what happened here in Buffalo when they finally turned it around under Sean McDermott, some of the things that he and Brandon Bean did. Mm-hmm. And I transpose that onto what I see other teams doing. But, and this reminds me a lot of what the Bills went through. You, can you imagine that many new guys defensively on your squad? And that's just a signal that just last year at points, and Leger said it, they just threw up the white flag. They didn't have the guys. They just did not have the physical talent to match up and play defense in the NFL at the highest level. Um, and they went out and said, we got to fix it. Yeah. You know, Sauce Gardner's going to help them a lot. And so are these guys and the defensive linemen. Carl Lawson's going to help them a lot. It'll be really that. interesting to see what Lawson looks like coming off the Achilles injury. It is a yeah. very difficult injury for players to return from and be the same guy, especially the bigger players. That right. rely on speed, quickness, get off. Yeah, Carl Lawson a, is a kind of a Greg Rousseau type guy, big, yeah. tall, long guy. Pass um, rusher. Pass yeah. rusher, edge rusher, was in Cincinnati for all those years. You're going to have the same burst. That's He's, a big question. Yeah, that's, that's, Achilles is different, man. It is. So we'll see. It's one thing for a guard, an offensive guard, to have an Achilles, but man, you're talking about a guy who's got to, you know, sprint forward. Instead of backpedal, yeah, and he's it's a different world. He's spring loading two hundred and fifty eight pounds on a surgically repaired Achilles. Like, is he's the burst the it. same? He's trying to get the most out of it too. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting it. to see if yeah. he is the same effective pass rusher that made him so attractive to the Jets in free agency last year at this time. Um, yeah, and the other thing that caught my ear that Lije said is the plan that Robert Sala supposedly has for his defensive line. He's going to start rotating eight, nine guys through, which is exactly what Leslie Frazier's been doing for the better part of the last five years here. That's what they do, man. Copycat league. Copycat league. Keep fresh guys in there. And, I, and that's, that's true because you, once you get your defense, you know, Robert Sala is a defensive guy. He likes his guys, got his guys. But then he gets on the, at, on the Jets. He's the head guy, and he starts interacting with all the offensive coaches. And they're starting to tell him, it's like, these guys are, look at these guys. They're so fresh coming off here. You know, we, our, our guys are having a hard time keeping up late in these games. In the second, you know, second half of the third yeah. quarter on, we're kind of tanked. You know, we're, we're kind of gassed. And Saul is sitting there going, well, why don't we do that? You know? <laughs> so, uh, for the first time, you know, as a defensive coordinator, you never think about that because you got your guys and you play them. Then when you get on the other side of it and you really got to defend it or, you know, play offense against it, Thing it works pretty good because mm-hmm. we all know it. you can't rotate your offensive lineman 
You know, we've seen uh, – just don't do it. It's too hard to play well as a group when you're interchanging parts all the time. So, yeah, it's makes a lot of sense. And if you've got the guys to do it, it's it's a great way to go. The Bills have proven it. Yeah. I, I don't know what to think of the Jets yet because they're unquestionably better in terms of talent. But as we said, Physical it's a talent. lot – it's a lot to mesh together and blend and get it all to work. And then, of course, does the quarterback take the step? Like, well, even if the defense is better, they may win you a few games. But if your quarterback doesn't take that next step in his accuracy and his decision-making, I mean, the run game and some defense yeah. might get you to seven, eight wins, but generally speaking, it's not putting you over the top. The Jets seem to have gotten better physically. But there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of brand-new pieces to their squad. Um, and the Bills have those same kind of answers, but they've kind of, over the years of the Sean McDermott, the five years that they've been here, proven that they can acclimate these new players very quickly, particularly the veteran players come in and they kind of get them acclimated in the offseason. They're ready to hit the ground running. I would expect the same thing from the Jets and Robert Sala. He's been around the block once or twice, and they know how to get veteran NFL players acclimated into their program, get them up to speed. But you put those new players with a bunch of new players, a bunch of rookie players, draft picks, who are playing major roles like Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall, uh, the wide receiver uh, from Ohio. Darren uh, Wilson. Darren Wilson. Garrett, Garrett Wilson. Wilson. You know, those three, you know, you've got starters. You know, then those question marks are a little bit bigger for those guys. So we'll see how that goes. But if all those questions get answered in the affirmative for the Jets, yeah, they're going to be way better, significantly better. They're not going to be near the top of the draft. You know, um, It's going to be a tussle when you go in there and play them in MetLife or when they come here and play you in Highmark. So we've seen it happen here in Buffalo. If you get a, co- if you get a coach like a McDermott, in this case maybe Robert Salah, Maybe they do answer those questions a little bit faster. Yes, a little bit faster than they would normally. So we'll see. The, yeah, the, there's reason to be optimistic in the Jets. I'm, we've been making the joke, and I, I should have made it to Leger, see what he thought about it, about everybody missed a holiday this year to make fun of the Jets' day of their draft. <laughs> you know, make fun of the Jets' draft day holiday, right? We couldn't do it this year. They killed it. They, they got guys everybody wanted at the top of the draft, and they didn't blow it on any of them. So – yeah, the expectations, I think, have to be pumped up a little bit for the Jets than where they've been in the past handful of years. We will take a break here. When we come back, more of your thoughts on the tweet sheet in terms of who you believe has a chance to benefit the most on the Bills roster this season based on the supporting cast around them. You tell us at 803-0550, or on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. More of your comments on that very subject coming your way next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Hey, Bills fans, Bills Mafia tailgate sauce and new rubs are back and now available at Wegmans. Proceeds go directly to the Patricia Allen Fund at Oshai. Children's Hospital, and maybe you saw the viral video of Josh at training camp, as Steve is vigorously shaking one of the sauce bottles, uh, where Josh was trying some of the uh, cookies that were made by the kids out there at training camp. 
with some of these sauces as the toppings. Right. Well, we have that video. Barbecue. Um, that went viral, and we have some of the sauces here in studio that we are going to try. I'm trying. Live on the air. I've seen these at Wegmans. Yeah. I just haven't had an opportunity to try them. Wegmans selling uh, mafia sauce. Fortunately for us, I mean, unfortunately for Josh, he was trying sauce on cookies. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get to do it on chicken fingers, which I think is much better. And I'm I'm going hot right out of the box here, Steve. I'm going with the hot hot tailgate sauce series. So I'm I'm going to try that one. Oh, you got the hot. This is the hot right here? Okay. Yeah. I'm putting it over here. Oh, you're just pouring a whole. Well, I'm going to dip. I like that kick. The barbecue's really good. Well, where the hell is that? Give it to me. What are you doing? All right, we already tried the hot. Oh, the hot is good. It's got some nice heat, but it's not overpowering. You know what I mean? The hot is good. Like, there are some hot sauces where it's so hot, you don't taste anything. You're just reaching for a beverage. Mm -mm. This has got a nice bite to it. Buffalo hot thing going for it. Let me, um, in the meantime, while I'm trying this, um, the Bills video that we were just showing you there, yeah, it's out to promote the um, sauces here, which are really good. Right. I got to try this barbecue, though. I'm going to try this mild. So you Josh. saw the Josh was he's huddled up with a bunch of kids and. They're trying cookies with this sauce. This is uh, this is the meat, the mild right here. It's the kind of the orangey one. Oh, is sure. this the wing sauce though? I think this is wing mild wing sauce. I think is try. what this is. Let All right, see. I'll I'll buy that for a dollar. Oh, I like it. Mm. Is this tangier? Yeah, the mild wing sauce might be my favorite one of the three. Oh, that is good, right? It's different. Let me dip that. Tailgate sauce series from Wegmans Mafia sauce. Bill's Mafia stuff. Yeah, good stuff. <clears throat> I think I like that one the best. I do too. The, mi- the mild, because I'm a. It's I'm, got it's like a mild wing sauce, but it's good. It it's really got like is. a tanginess to yeah, it that yeah, you yeah. don't usually get in mild wing sauce. So we got the three. We got the the hot, the mild, and then we got the barbecue, and then they got a bunch of rubs here too. This the dry. Well, stuff. yeah. So they got buffalo wing rub. And um, then over here, they've got the chili lime, which is very intriguing to me. So I really? would like, I would put that on a, like on a pork butt or something and see what you can get out of that. Or maybe even, um, I'll see your pork butt and raise you a brisket. Or a brisket. I would put chili lime on a brisket. What's the one by you? What's that rub? What a what? The one this over one? there. Oh, it's... You're too busy eating right yeah, now. This is the classic Cajun. Ooh. Yeah, tailgate rub sauce. That's pretty good, though. No, tailgate rub series. Not sauce. So, so good. as I said, you can get any of these tailgate sauces or rubs at Wegmans. And the reason you see Josh on the label is because all proceeds go directly to the Patricia Allen Fund at Oshai Children's Hospital. So, pretty good rundown. I mean, everybody likes barbecue sauce, so you can't go wrong there. If you like a little right. heat, I, I would give the heat on a scale of 1 to 10. I'd say it's probably like a 6, 6 and a half. On the hot? Yeah, which is great because, like I said, like if you have people that can't take stuff at the 9 right. or 10 scale, right. it's, it's good for the masses. So if you're cooking at a tailgate, you want something that appeals to everybody. So that's yeah. enough heat to kind of get your attention, but not to make your eyes water. You know what I mean? 
Right. It's just the right amount it's of heat. Got a very, the hot has got a very familiar flavor. But that mild, that mild like wing sauce, the tanginess. But the mild wing sauce, really good. That's the winner for me out of I the three. Good. I mean, they're all good, but I like that one the best. Yeah. I'm totally with you. So, so mafia. Put it on your Bill's, Bill's tailgate mafia. menu. Sauce. No, rub. What is it called? The something series? Tailgate series, tailgate Steve. Series, that's it. The tailgate sauce series and the tailgate rub series. All proceeds go to Oshai's. Yeah. But, yeah, put it on your tailgate menu, whether it's this weekend for the preseason opener or whether it's the regular season. Have at it. I mean, this it's is really good. Yeah, I like I'm the sauces are great. All three of them are good. Yeah, I like are. the mild one and the tanginess that it brings to the table. It's pretty solid. Very and solid group. So thanks for be Wegmans on the lookout for, for that. Hey, thanks for Wegmans for doing that, Josh, and on the good that it's gonna do. You know people be all over it. It's a perfect thing for a game day and all that and, and game even at home, not even for tailgating. So yeah, those are great. Uh, in the meantime, though, are, I'm, I'm surprised how good those are. Those are really good. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to pick up the chili lime rub myself. Right. Because I liked some of that lime hint in foods and dressings and stuff. I've seen a bunch of di- like lime is kind of the new well, in thing. If the now. chili lime rub disappears from the studio today, you can blame me. Yes, exactly. That's fine. Uh, In the meantime, we have to get back to the tweet sheet where we were asking which Bills player will benefit the most from their surrounding cast. Need some more of that mild sauce. Okay, you keep eating, and I'll read the tweet sheet. Patrick says, Isaiah McKenzie ain't going to see a double team all year. Ditto for Greg Rousseau. I would tend to agree with that. He's assuming, obviously, that Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs are going to draw double team attention on the outside which means Isaiah McKenzie could really eat with two-way goes, one-on-one. I mean, we've said it, Steve. He's been probably one of the most consistent performers in all of training camp, not to mention the fact that he has given Taron Johnson fits in terms of getting open and getting separation against a guy that I would argue is a top-five nickel corner in the league. So I agree with that. That makes sense, Patrick. Greg Rousseau is another interesting one. You figure that Ed Oliver is going to be drawing double teams. Von Miller is going to be drawing double teams. You can't double everybody. So that means Greg Rousseau is probably going to have his fair share of one-on-one opportunities on the pass rush. He's going to be working against one of the tackles on either side. Because I think they'll move both those guys around. They'll flip them from side to side, try to find a nice combination. I've seen, two Jordan Phillips getting penetration. I'm really optimistic about the ability of this defensive line in the passing game in the long yardage situations to get on the other side of the line of scrimmage fast, really fast. And I just think it's going to end up being a lot of third and longs that come up short. You know what I mean? A lot of punts um, and maybe a lot of sacks, maybe tip passes, interceptions, that kind of stuff. I, I really feel like this defense is going to see a lot of favorable down and distances against the sticks and – and they're going to make some plays because of it. Um, Hyde and Poyer back there roaming around. I, th- I think they'll be able to go too high safety a little more often and still be able to hold up up front with six guys up in the box. So, yeah, I'm really optimistic about it, and I'm, I, I'm with him. Whether that's because Greg Rousseau is singled up 
or because one of the guys down inside or Von Miller is, is freed up as well. I think provi- Any way you slice it, it sounds good. Provided Rousseau is healthy, he's going to have more than the five sacks he had last year. I think that's a safe assumption. Jack is going in a similar direction on the tweet sheet. He says, little dirty, Isaiah McKenzie is going to take the slot job by storm. He'll take what he learned watching Beasley, add his speed, and run after catchability. With Diggs, Davis, Knox drawing lots of attention, he'll get wide open underneath and expose zones to make defenses pay. I predict eight touchdowns for McKenzie this year. Wow. That's a fat number. Yeah. We should note, and granted, it's different, and we talked about this extensively in our latest Bills by the Numbers podcast, you know, what the slot receiver position is going to look like this year for the Bills with the potential of it being a shared role with a new offensive coordinator and somebody manning that position not named Cole Beasley. Beasley never had more than four touchdowns in any season for the Bills, and he was the number two target. But maybe that's because he did draw that much attention. Isaiah McKenzie figures to draw not as much with Davis, Diggs, and Knox, so maybe he does get more one-on-one opportunities and he gets to eat a little bit more because of it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, and I, um, he's been productive when he's been in there. Now, he's shown up like out of the blue when he's gotten his opportunities. When teams get a handle on him, he may not be so overlooked. Well, they'll have to adjust, right. But then that's when you would assume other guys in the offense start to eat and make plays. Right. The next one, uh, I thought – this is another good tweet on the next one. Read number four from Steve. Steve. He says, I believe it will be Tremaine Edmonds. He takes a lot of criticism, but has always had a lot of younger talent and not the right talent in front of him. This front line is locked and loaded, and I expect to see impact plays from him this year. He will finally get some respect. Yeah, I think I, that, that's, that's a good guess. Right he there. and Milano, we talked to Milano when we had him on the show, Steve, last week. I said... How excited are you about these big dudes in the middle of your defense? They're going to allow you to stay clean and run and hit, right? And he said, oh, yeah. He goes, I am pumped for this. Yeah. So I think he, I think Milano and Edmonds, their numbers are going to skyrocket because they're not going to have guards climbing to the second level and gobbling yeah. them up. I think, they got a, yeah, I've got a, I think they've got a chance to play a different kind of football than they have been able to play in the past, at least, they, at least last year. Um, I think. Tremaine is going to just make more tackles. We've seen it already. There was a couple of periods in training camp this last week and this week where, you know, they're going to do a little run run defense, and Tremaine is making the tackle on the other side of the scrimmage between the tackles. I mean, he is, like, attacking the line of scrimmage. And, yep. you know, if you've seen it, they just weren't able to do that in seasons past. So I think it, there really is a chance for Tremaine Edmonds to, to really build his esteem among Bills fans who, you know, we've hear, we hear it all the time and say, well, I don't know. He's not the guy everybody wants to, you know. Um, everybody has something to say about and they He missed this play, missed that play, should be here, should be there, what should have done this, should have done that. Uh, meanwhile, he's going to the Pro Bowl every, every season. But I think this is a year where people might say, well, you know what, that, they might realize what they've got there. Uh, like the league has already realized and sent him to the Pro Bowl a couple of times. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet and, unfortunately, another receiver-slash-returner injury, this time at Brown's training camp. We'll tell you who it is next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All 
right, welcome back. It's One Bills Live here on a Tuesday, and we have one final thought from the tweet sheet where we were asking you today which Bills player will benefit the most from their surrounding cast. Sean says, definitely Rousseau, with the surrounding cast of Settle, Phillips, Lawson, Oliver, Miller. That This freak of nature that has been fed gunpowder and gasoline is going to explode. <laughs> well done, Sean. I probably didn't hit the delivery out of the park there, but good tweet. Uh, Rousseau, Steve, McKenzie, probably the two most popular answers today. Yeah, but I'll say this with Rousseau up front. With Settle, Phillips, Lawson, Oliver Miller, you could pick any one of those names that you list as being a guy who's going to be aided by all the other guys around him. Yeah. I think somebody on the defensive line in that group's going to really blossom this year, whether it's Ed Oliver or Tim Settle. A.J. Epinesa. A.J. Epinesa. um, Boogie Basham. Greg Rousseau, any one of these guys could have a great year because of this group and how good it's going to be. Uh, certainly, the expectation is that the entire group's production is going to elevate and help everybody else in the back end and all of that. But, yeah, you could pick any of those guys. But Rousseau's as good as any, no question about it. He he seems to be a guy that wrenched away a lot of snaps last year and got the, got a lot of got a lot more repetitions during that rotational process than anybody else did. I think people forget that Greg Rousseau was a one-year starter in college and then chose not to play during the COVID year in 2020. So he started one year in school in 2019, was ridiculously productive. Crushed it, yeah. Then sat out and opted out, due in part to the fact that his mom was a nurse, she's in medical facilities, didn't want to expose her, and then thereby patients and that kind of thing. Personal decision on that, and we totally get it. This guy's learning on the job all last year, not only right. you know sharpening up his techniques again, but learning what a 17-game regular season is. Yeah, you think, too. Now, I would like to think he's poised right. to know what to expect. And at the end of the season, was it the end of the season when he had the tipped pass from... Oh, that was like week five Week five, Kansas he's City. tipping passes and taking off running. Um, the potential's there, so yeah. we may see it. Big show tomorrow as we're back at camp. Ed Oliver on the show on Wednesday, along with CBS Sports' Evan Washburn. We'll see you at one.